Tonight we're going to do something unusual, and that's a little tag team preaching. Uh, I've asked Brother Trey Kiesling to come share what God did in his life, his testimony, his ministry. And then he's just returned from six months of preaching in the country of Australia. And I asked him to give us some highlights about that. I thank the Lord that he was saved here. Appreciate his parents, Butch and Lynn Kiesling. It's good to have Trey's mom here tonight. Amen. So glad to have you here, Lynn. Had the opportunity to go fishing with Brother Trey's dad before. It was a bad day of fishing, but it was a great day of fellowship. When Trey was new in the church, he volunteered everywhere. He learned how to do everything in this church. He was on every team imaginable, served as youth pastor at the Rock Church, went to Gateway College of Evangelism that became Urshan College, graduated there. He's currently evangelizing and working and uh, has some international preaching. Would you welcome Brother Trey Kiesling to preach, and then I'll be following him to minister after he finishes. Amen. It's good to be in the house of the Lord. Amen. Amen. Well, I don't like to do a whole lot of preliminaries uh, when I speak, but it is, it is an honor and it is a privilege to be here with you guys and stand before you this evening at my home church. It's uh, an opportunity that I've never had before, uh, but I don't take it lightheartedly. I love Brother Johns, and I thank him and his family for all the investments that they've made in my life and this church has made uh, in me. But if uh, while we're standing, if you just go ahead and turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, we'll start at verse 12, and we'll just read a few verses this evening. So I won't have you standing too long, but that's all right. I'll be standing longer than you. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. You got it? Say amen. Sound like about half of you. So we'll wait for you slow ones. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12. Now if you have it, say amen. That's good enough for me. It says, now as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which also I am apprehended for Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing that I do, forgetting those things that which are behind and reaching forth toward those things which are before. I press toward the mark of the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. You may be seated in the presence of the Lord. Throughout the scripture, we see God using imperfect people to, uh, for the sake of his mission. And I, I never quite understood why he chose the individuals that he did. But if I had to conclude, the reasoning would be that it was to uh, uh, validate, it was the validity of his actual being. He didn't call the popular or the successful or the rich, but rather uh, he called the poor, the broken, and the faithful. I can only imagine how confused the Pharisees and the religious leaders' faces must have looked as they saw these, these 12 people who were going to turn the world upside down from an outside perspective. We can see that it didn't matter where people were from, what they had done, or who they used to be. Jesus used all kinds of people from every demographic 
You don't sound too convinced. That's all right. Noah was a drunk. Abraham was old. Isaac was a daydreamer. Jacob was a liar. Leah was ugly. Joseph was abused. Moses couldn't speak. Gideon was afraid. Samson was a womanizer. Rahab was a prostitute. Jeremiah and Timothy were too young. David was an adulterer and a murderer. Elijah was suicidal. Isaiah preached naked. Jonah ran from God. Naomi was a widow. Job went bankrupt. John the Baptist ate bugs. Peter denied Christ. The disciples fell asleep while praying. Martha was worried about everything. The Samaritan woman was divorced on more than one occasion. Zacchaeus was too small. Paul was too religious. Timothy had an ulcer. Lazarus was dead. If you're struggling to be what God's called you to be, if you can't get past the very thing that keeps yourself throwing your carcass up on the altar, I have good news for you tonight, Atlanta West, that God takes the imperfected and makes it something valuable. I may not be perfect. I may not have it all together, but I'm going to seek after it. I'm going to desire it. I'm going to go after it. I'm going to apprehend it. Paul said, I haven't apprehended it, but I'm still reaching toward it. I couldn't stand here before you tonight and tell you that I've arrived. But I can tell you without a doubt in my mind that I am going after it. That nothing is going to stop me. I don't care what anybody else does. I don't care what anybody else says. You can do what you want. But I know that as long as I pursue him, as long as I seek after him, that I know he will make himself known. Come on, I know it's just Wednesday night, but you already did your hair and put on your best clothes, so we might as well go ahead and get a little something tonight. Most of you probably know me and my background. Some of you don't, but I, I didn't grow underneath these uh, grow up underneath these pews. I wasn't participating in Bible quizzing, and praise God for Bible quizzers around the world. Young people studying and memorizing the Word of God, but I'm a product of the world. You see, about 10 years ago, I was as far as anybody could be from the Lord. By the age of 14, not proudly stating it, but I had already obtained eight misdemeanors. So I was a very busy young man. I put my mom and my dad through hell and back. My mom could say amen to that. (laughs) Spent some time in alternative school. On one occasion, I received four misdemeanors, truancy and trespassing in an unauthorized area, destruction of property and graffiti. Still don't know how I pulled that one off, but I'm that good. Hopped around from public school to Christian school to home school, back to public school. Had an account of an intent to sell two charges of possession. I was going down the wrong road really fast. It wasn't because I came from a broken home. It wasn't because my daddy wasn't in my life. It wasn't because I didn't have a good mom. But I was calling my own shots in my life and no one even knew everything that I was doing. But all of a sudden I received a phone call that was going to change my life. 
from an old friend I hadn't talked to in some time. Formerly, her name was Brittany Simpkins. Now it's Brittany Biggs. She said, hey, I, I just found your number. I thought I would give you a call. I just started going to this church, and, and I think you would like it. You should come. I said, Brittany, you know I'm not into all that stuff. I, I'm not really, I'm not in that. That's, that's not my scene. But she was persistent, and I thank God for a phone call. That changed my life. And so I was persuaded that day, and I walked through the glass doors of Atlanta West. Just like many of you walked through tonight, probably past the same man that I did. Brother Richard Wells. Praise the Lord. It's so good to have you in the house of the Lord. He said, what's your name? I said, my name's Trey. It seemed insignificant. It seemed mundane. It seemed like it didn't really matter. And at that time, it didn't. I went, I sat in the service. I saw all you people dressed the same way, hooping and hollering. I said, this is not my scene. These people are crazy. I left the service. I said, I'm never coming back to that church. Two weeks later, no one invited me. No one called me. But I was just by myself. And I remember thinking, man, maybe I should go try that crazy church just one more time. And so I walked through the doors. I sat in the service on this side. And after service, nothing happened, no goosebumps, no Holy Ghost, no baptism, and I still thought you all were crazy. And then out of peripheral vision, out of the side of my vision, I see Brother Wells making his way to me. And now I'm nervous. Oh, Lord, they're about to corner me and get me to do whatever I'm supposed to do. But what was to my surprise, Brother Wells? He said, praise the Lord, Brother Trey. It's good to have you back in the house of the Lord. We missed you. And it was at that moment my life was changed forevermore because a fellowship, friendship, fellowship force, or whatever we call it, a door greeter, remembered my name. And I know that doesn't mean anything to you, but it was at that point. It was at that decision with just a handshake and a little word. I said, these people are legit. I started coming to church then on. See, God always uses three things. He uses His Spirit. He uses His Word. And He uses His people. And I'm so thankful that Brittany was in the Spirit that day and gave me an invite to church. I praise God that Brother Wells gave me just a little bit of a word. That, hey, Brother Trey, it's good to have you back in the house of the Lord. When God committed to Adam, he said, bro, you're going to mess up. But I'm not going to withdraw the authority that I've given to you and wait for somebody else to come and do it right. Genesis 1 verse 2, And the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. Genesis 1 verse 3, And God said, Let there be light, and there was. Genesis 1 26, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and the fowl of the air, over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. See, the Spirit prepared it. The Word produced it. And man... Preserved it.
Even though Adam was going to mess things up, God still kept His promise to him that I'm going to let you carry this thing out to the very end. Romans 3 and 10 states, as it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. But God still sees the potentiality in your imperfections. Oh yes, He does. You may not believe it. Your life may be in shackles, but God looks down at you and He says, I can make something valuable out of that. I can make something of worth out of that. Something that is worth more than the condition that it is in right now. It's time for us to wake up church and start walking in the authority that Jesus Christ has given us regardless of how imperfect you may feel or you may be. There is potential in your imperfection. Second Corinthians 5.20 states that we are ambassadors for, for Christ and Webster's definition says an authorized messenger or representative. Did you know that it never says to pray that demons will be cast out? It just says to go and cast them out. A year and a half ago or so, I was in Togo, West Africa for two months on an AIM trip. And and I was privileged to be able to travel around there, Ivory Coast and Ghana as well, and, and Togo. And so I spent majority of my time there in Togo. And so on this one particular service, it was a larger service at one of the bigger churches uh, there in Togo. And Pastor Kofi, we were there. The altar call was given, and so everyone flooded the altars, and people were getting and receiving the Holy Ghost left and right. And, and I was praying around for everyone that I could. I mean, it was just, it was so packed. It was so full of people. People hungry, desiring after God. And so I started making my way to the back because it's the back rows who needs the prayer the most. And so I started making my way to the back. And so, uh, amen. I can, <laughs> anyways, uh, that's all right. We'll pray for you later. And so, um, and so I started making my way around. And so uh, I saw this lady who was, had her arms folded and she looked mean as a snake. And so she just had this very statue face on her. And, and God spoke to me. He said, go pray for that. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to pray for? And he said, just go. And I said, no. And so I don't know what to pray for. And so that's just how I work with God. I don't want to operate in the spirit of Trey. I want to operate in the spirit of God. And so I, I started moving around uh, to the back and to the front. And I honestly... I forgot about her, and so I kind of ended back up in the same spot. And from a glimpse, I saw her in the same position as I left her. He said, you need to go pray for her. Go lay your hand on her and pray in Jesus' name. I said, fine. If I look foolish, it's your fault. So I went, I prayed for her, I laid my hands on her. And the moment that I laid my hands on her, I said, oh no, the Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the moment, split second that I said that, she started punching and she started moving and jiving and it was not responding to the sermon. And now I have realized that this woman probably has a spirit. Pastor Kofi came, hurried down, he whispered in my ear. He said, Trey, he said, we've prayed for this woman. See, Togo's right next to Benin. Benin is the capital. It is where voodoo came from. They don't call it voodoo, they call it juju. And so that, that, uh, that part of the culture is very much interwoven throughout Togo as well. And so 
Uh, so he said, we've been praying for this lady. We, they cannot cast it out. It won't come. She won't respond. Nothing will happen. He says, you started it, and now you finish it. And so I didn't know what to do. I just kept praying in the name of Jesus Christ. I take dominion. I take authority over you right now. I command you to come out. Nothing was happening. She's on the floor convulsing. It was the craziest thing that I have ever seen. And so now everybody around is kind of, she's making such a ruckus. It is interrupting the altar call. And now I'm getting angry. I said, Lord, I'm going to say it one more time. I said, in Jesus' name, in the moment Jesus left my lips, she stopped convulsing, she stopped shaking, and tears began to roll down her cheek, uncontrollable. And it was the most beautiful thing I think I've ever seen. I saw all this frustration. I thought, saw everything that held her bound for so long leave her just at the mention of His name. See, you've got the power. You've got the authority. It's in you. You've got it you got to know it there can't be a question mark you can't doubt it I'm more convinced of this message brother John's than I have ever been in my life because the more I get to know him the more I understand who he really is see God is just looking for people who are willing to step out into the unknown and will possess the authority that he has given us despite him knowing what Adam and Eve were going to do, he still chose them to have the dominion over everything upon the earth. Despite their imperfections, he still gave them the power. Don't misinterpret what I'm saying. I'm not passing out sin cards tonight. I'm not condoning sin. You need to get that junk out of your life. I'm not excusing it, but I am here to tell you that there is potential despite your imperfections. No matter what you've done, no matter who you are, God still wants to use you. I spent and was privileged to spend six months of my life in Australia. And and so I've been back for a little bit now. And I started my trip at the National Youth Camp, which which is like Youth Congress on a very much smaller level, about four to 500 students. On Saturday night, they asked me to do the evangelistic service. And so there, we had a great service. We were in church for over four hours. The young people were praising God. We had seven young people filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I headed over to Pentecostals of Sydney and Verna, a man who had been seeking the Holy Ghost for several months now. I saw him come up every single night, every night at, at, uh, at the youth camp. He'd lift his hands for about 30 or 40 seconds. He would pray just for a few minutes and then in defeat he would walk back and sit down at his seat. And on the very last night of revival at Pentecostals of Sydney, I didn't know this was his home church. He came, he lifted up his hands and God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. I went to Cameltown. Just a little suburb outside of Sydney. There was a family that had been backslidden out of church for 10 years. On Saturday, the husband who has never been to church, his wife who was the backslider, she, uh, he said, we should go to church on Sunday. And little did they know, a young little white boy who was going to be preaching that day. And so there, we had a great service that day, and tears started rolling down her face. She got into the presence of God, and God refreshed her and filled her again with the Holy Ghost. 
I went to Northern Beaches and Calvin, a young Filipino, mainly prominent, prominent Filipino church. And, and Calvin had the Holy Ghost for a year already. And, and I was preaching on uh, baptism in Jesus' name that morning on Sunday. And, and after service, he came up to me a little while and he said, he said uh, Brother Trey, I, I think I need to be baptized in Jesus' name. I said, yeah, you do, bro. He said, well, when can we do it? I said, well, we can do it right now. And so we walked about five blocks down the street. We took Calvin and we baptized him in the ocean in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of his sins. Went over about an hour away outside of Sydney, Parramatta, and a young man who was uh, named Joshua had just got back from Hong Kong and he was very sick. You could tell he was very sick. And so he came up right before the service started and he stepped out and he said, I need prayer. I'm sick. I said, yeah, dude, you look sick. What's wrong with you? He said, I got the bird flu. I said, you got the what? I don't know if my faith rocketed for him or for me. I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ can heal you right now? He said, yes, I believe. So we took a little bit of the anointing oil. We anointed him with oil. We prayed for him in Jesus' name. He began to cough. Then he began to gag. He bolted out the side door. He threw up the bird flu in the toilet and came back praising God. That sounds like the book of Acts to me. Sunday night. The same church, a 74-year-old young lady came and was uh, sitting in the church, a Methodist lady, 40 years in the Methodist church. She teaches the lady ministry down there at the Methodist church. And she sat in the service and God's spirit began to move on her and tears began to roll down her face as she was responding to the gospel that was being preached. And God filled a 74-year-old Methodist lady with the gift of the Holy Ghost speaking in a language that she did not know. We gave her the mic to testify after service and, and she, uh, she said, uh, I've been a Methodist for 40 years and it's just boring. <laughs> but that's not all. Sister Sala, a Fijian lady, which is the pastor of that church, she went to Sister Sala and and she said, hey, you need to come and preach the ladies' ministry down at the Methodist church. What that boy was preaching up here tonight. And so now God has opened the door for the ladies' ministry down at the Methodist church. And Sister Sala is preaching the Acts 2.38 message down at the Methodist church. And God is doing great things. Went over to Hornsby and two 65 young people, again, 65 year old couple came and uh, he had been baptized in Jesus name his wife had not been baptized and she did not have the Holy Ghost they were a Fijian couple as well and so uh, we began to pray for her and they were praying for him in the back and a second that the Holy Ghost fell on her and she began to speak in tongues. I looked up and in the back he was speaking in tongues. We took her down to a little pool behind somebody's house. We baptized her in Jesus name that evening. Went over to the Gold Coast, which is at the very top of Australia. A young man named Perry had a big old pot leaf on his shirt. Came to church. I'd spent the whole week skateboarding with Perry. Got him to come to church that night. He started getting in the presence of God. With a pot leaf on his shirt and everything. And God filled him with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Went to Brisbane. Another Filipino church. 
Seven people were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Three of those were from a Hindu family. The daughter came on Wednesday night. She was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. She went home, very devout Hindus. She went home, told her mom, said, Hey, you need to come and you need to get what they're passing out at the church. Her mom came. She brought her daughter. They got into the presence of God Almighty. God filled them with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Went to Canberra. Five were filled with the Holy Ghost. Two were baptized in Jesus' name. Lynbrook, there was an elder lady. Had not spoken in tongues in five years. God refilled her with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Went to Werribee. Pastor Damons, a young African boy, been seeking the Holy Ghost for some time. Got into the presence of God. And God filled him with the Holy Ghost. I asked him afterwards. I said, how do you feel? He said, he's only about nine years old. I said, how do you feel? He said, I feel dizzy. But I know there's something new on the inside of me. And I thank God that at a nine-year-old age, boy understands what happened and conspired that day in his life. Went to Hopper's Crossing. Five were filled with the Holy Ghost. Three were baptized in Jesus' name. Went over to Adelaide. New pastor just started pastoring there. One was filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. We were in church for four hours and 45 minutes. And I was ready to go home. But God was moving so mightily. There was a man sitting about four rows back in this section. He sat down the entire time. He could not walk. He had severe arthritis in his right leg. During this night, he made his way up from the fourth row to the front row. Barely can make it from the, from the car to the pew. I said, what's wrong with you, man? He said, I got severe arthritis in my leg. He said, I can't stand on it. I can barely walk on it. I said, do you believe that Jesus Christ can heal you right now? He said, yes, I believe. Well, I said, well, I'm going to mess your pants up, but God's going to heal you tonight. He said, that's okay. So I took some oil. I dumped it on his pants leg. I wrapped my hands around his leg. I said, in the name of Jesus Christ. That was over four and a half months ago. He does not have an ounce of arthritis in his leg. He does not walk with a cane. He does not walk with a limp. That's the God that we serve. Went to Darwin, six were filled. One man was healed of asthma. He cannot go one day without his asthma inhaler and without treatments. He has not used his asthma machine or his inhaler. Went to Perth, six days, 16 people were filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost. Ten were baptized in Jesus' name, and that's not even half of what God did. I was living in St. Louis. There was a, there's a, there's a nice suit store that I like to go and just look at. I can't afford anything out of there. But I just like to go look every once in a while. Brooks and Brother. There's your plug-in. I want royalties to that. And I was, I was just browsing through. There was this suit that was sitting on a rack by itself. And so there was a little tag on it that had a handwritten 30 on it. And I thought that was just the waist size. But something prompted me. Call it faith, I don't know. I said, excuse me, ma'am. Uh, how much is this suit? She looked at that tag. She said, it's $30. It's like six, $700 suits. I said, 
Wrap it up, Charlie. Let's go. I can get that bad boy tailored. Sitting in my closet, but now I can't fit into it. It's tragedy. See, but the nature of the world tells us that imperfection isn't of much value anymore. I asked her what was wrong with it. She said, well, the guy who originally bought it, he wanted inside cuff pants. And we made a mistake to our tailor and they outside cuff pants. I said, that's okay. I can cut that little piece of string off. That once something is damaged, it, 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 might, it gets marked down for a lower cost so that it can get out of inventory quicker. And I'm so glad that God doesn't work that way. But I've come to tell you, I've come to preach with a mission. To preach to the person who's still struggling, who's still going through it. I've come to tell you that the very thing that you may still be struggling with every single day that's maybe had you bound for so long. I've come to preach to the imperfected tonight. I've come to tell somebody, no matter what you think or how bad you think the damaged goods may be, God still sees the potential in your imperfection. We look at ourselves and our past and evil things we've done or thought or said and and the devil himself maybe whisper in our ear, God can't use you. Look at everything you've done. You're not perfect. But God said, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are my ways your ways. If you don't catch anything else tonight, catch this. Sometimes the very thing that we see as inferior and incomplete is the greatest vehicle for God's glory to be carried in. There's nothing that gets God off His throne fast enough, quick enough, when someone cries out to Him and says that I'm not all that I can be. I'm not all that I should be. But I'm going to give you everything, Lord. And church, we cannot overlook the hurt. We cannot overlook the broken. We cannot overlook the weak. But too often we look over and past the busted and the disgusted. But 2 Corinthians 12 verse 9 says, For my strength is made perfect in weakness. Verse 10, For when I am weak, then I am strong. The potentiality of imperfection. If you'd stand with me this evening. The potentiality of imperfection. You ought to thank God that He didn't leave you where He found you. You ought to stretch a hand toward heaven right now. Just close your eyes. Just magnify the Lord right now. Lord, I thank You that You didn't leave us where You found us. You ought to thank Him that He's in the business of using imperfect people. He's in the business of using broken, marred, discounted, unfortunate situations and turning it around and using for His glory, for His power, for His marvelous light. That it doesn't matter what you've done. That it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter where you've been. God's not worried about all that stuff. He's not worried about the past. But He's worried about where you are right now. Brother Johns would come. Right now I'm at a close.
thank the Lord for what God just did through Brother Trey Kiesling to speak to us in the power of the Word and the Holy Ghost. Why don't we thank the Lord? Amen. Oh, Lord God, I give you praise. I give you honor. I thank you, Lord God, that you love us. Amen. Well, I just want to say that I'm very proud of you, and I know your mom and dad are very proud of you. And to Atlanta West Pentecostal Church, God uses people just like you and just like Trey Kiesling. Turn in your Bibles to John chapter 1, verse 40. And what I want to minister for, about for the next few minutes uh, is directly related to what Brother Trey just preached about. And I know Brother Brad Fain, who is Brother Trey's youth pastor, is feeling thankful right now for the years you spent investing in young people. And right now we have children in a choir practice and 12 to 20 year olds in the crowd. We are a multi-generational church, but we are reaching for the next generation. Amen? John chapter 1 verse 40. One of the two which heard John speak and followed him was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first findeth his own brother Simon and saith unto him, We have found the Messiah, which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah, thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. I want to speak to you on the subject, seeing Cephas in Simon. You may be seated. I appreciate everyone in this room who gets the potential of imperfection who sees people who are a raw product and believe that the Word and the Spirit and the church can shape them into something different. The contribution of the people in this church, whether it's the Friendship Force, and here I go naming teachers and people that work with our children and young people and new people that work in discipleship classes that love people that do follow-up calls, you have to understand that you're working with a raw product that God is at work changing. Whether a young person or a new person or a lost person is in the classroom, your living room, in children's ministry, in your neighborhood, in your school, or where you work, that person has the potential to be saved and to be used by God in a way that can change the world. Every powerful and successful person in the world who is not in church was one day a child in someone's classroom, in someone's neighborhood, and the difference between what they have become in the world and what they could become in the church is a phone call from a Brittany Simpkins that says, I want you to come to church. The difference is made by someone who believes in a person who will not give up. Sometimes in baby dedications, I look at those little babies and I wonder what they will become. Sometimes I cringe, but very often I am filled with hope because I know the parents are going to raise that child to love the Lord and to make sure that that child is raised in the shadow of the church. 
I want you to understand tonight the power of your influence to change the life of a person forever. Every person, every living soul, their lives can be crushed or they can be cultivated depending on the environment that we create as a church. I know that there is human will and even the prodigal son's family, perfect though it may have been, he walked away and became a lost soul. But we can stand in the path and intercept people and bring them back to God and we can influence the way that they go. When Proverbs said, train up a child in the way he should go and when he is old he will not depart from it, Proverbs spoke about a process that changes a person from what they are into something different. When Jesus met Simon Peter for the very first time, he saw who Simon was. His name means a hearer or quick to hear, someone that might be quick to respond or obey. But he said, you shall be called Cephas, which means a stone or a rock. When you study Simon's life, you know that he was an impetuous person. He was quick to speak up. He was in and out. He was an inconsistent person. But when Jesus saw him, he did not just see, for, see him for who he was that day. He saw what he would become in time when he engaged himself in the process. You are Simon, but you shall be called Cephas. You are Trey, a troubled young 16-year-old, but you shall be a preacher of the gospel. What we need to do is have the eyes of Jesus Christ who can see inside of Simon something that Simon cannot see in himself, that God can make a difference through his word, through his spirit, through his people, that we can cause people to be changed forever by the power of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You are Simon, but you shall be called Cephas. Simon, this guy that's tongue was just a millisecond faster than his brain. He sometimes said the wrong thing at the wrong time. He's the one who said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And blessed art thou, Simon Barjona. Flesh and blood has not revealed this unto you, but my Father which is in heaven. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven. You know, you're Simon on this rock, I will build my church. It's only five verses later that Jesus begins to speak about his death. And Simon says, this is not going to happen to you. And Simon Peter rebukes Jesus. And Jesus says to him, get thee behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You don't savor the things that be of God. You savor the things that be of men. How can you in one verse say, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God? And have Jesus say, Blessed art thou? And just a few verses later, have Jesus say, Get thee behind me, Satan. We've all been there, done that probably. Where in one moment, we are the star student. And then a few verses later, from Sunday to Monday or Tuesday or Wednesday, we let the Lord down. But Jesus still saw something in Simon. Thou art Simon, but I see Cephas in there and I'm not going to give up on you until you become what I have called you to be. Amen. Simon, at the week of final exams, if you could say it that way, the week of the crucifixion, at the hour of the cross, he is cursing and swearing with an oath. He is denying the Lord. But a few days later, Holy Ghost filled. He preaches that first sermon 
on the day of Pentecost. He does have the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He becomes a steadfast rock who is willing to lay down his life and be crucified for the name of Jesus Christ. He was Simon, but he's not Simon anymore. And I want to tell you, the people that walk in our church that are broken, that are imperfect, that have their lives all messed up, are the very people that God calls. It's not meaning noble that calls, not meaning mighty, but God chooses the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. People just like you and me, we believe in the power of preaching and teaching and a Bible study and a testimony and a phone call and a dinner and love and a church that just won't let go, that says we believe in what God can do in your life. Amen. Jesus saw something in Simon. He knew who Simon was and what he was, but he believed in what Simon could become. He's always seen the potential in people. He did then and he does now. Amen. When Jesus called the 12 disciples after a night of prayer, he selected men who were commoners, except for Judas Iscariot. They were all from Galilee. They were not from the Judean spiritual religious province. They were from the province that most people said was into prosperity more than religion. They were later called ignorant and unlearned men. That They were not theologically trained in the institutions of higher learning. Twelve ordinary men, John MacArthur would call them. And there are times in the 18 months of intense training, the three years of Jesus' ministry, that his work was made very difficult because there are times that they just lacked spiritual understanding. They were dull, thick, blind spiritually. Sometimes they lacked humility, self-centered, self-willed, arguing about who would be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, self-promoting. You know, that kind of person is in the church. They often lack faith. Five times in the Gospel of Matthew alone, Jesus said to the twelve, O ye of little faith. They often lack commitment. When the crowds were cheering, they were there. But in the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus was arrested, they all forsook Him and fled into the night at the very end of their training by Jesus Christ. There were times they lacked spiritual power, unable to cast the devil out. Prior to Pentecost, they could not sustain their own spiritual power, raw material with which Jesus had to work. They were ignorant and unlearned men. But when they saw Peter and John, they took note that they had been with Jesus. I just want to encourage this church tonight that what we preach changes people's lives. God's Word, God's Spirit, and God's church together can make the difference. But what we need to do as a church is believe in the power of a phone call. Believe in the power of taking somebody out to dinner. Believe in what a Bible study can do. Believe in what the discipleship class does or a 101 welcome to the family class does. Change the life of a person forever. And I, like Brother Trey, as he said... I believe Jesus called 12 ordinary men to prove it is not what I begin with. It's who I am, Jesus would say. 
It's the process that I'm going to lead them through that makes all the difference in the world. He is God. He starts with nothing. He doesn't need your potential. He doesn't need your IQ, your talent, or anything. In the beginning, all there was was God and His Word, and He created everything that is out of nothing. So let's bring the broken. Let's bring the bruised. Let's bring the addict. Let's bring the sinner. Let's bring them into contact with the Word of God, knowing that God makes the difference, that the gospel makes all the difference in the world. Amen. For Simon Peter, he was a changed man because Jesus said, you are Simon, but you shall be called Cephas. You're going to become something different than you are now. I was talking to a Sunday school teacher many, many years ago. And he said, you know, my pastor fired me from teaching Sunday school. I said, your pastor fired you? Why? He said, well, you know, I, those, those junior high boys, they never paid attention. So I told myself, why in the world would I study the lesson when they're not going to pay attention anyway? So I would just read to them out of the book. And I guess that wasn't very good. So my pastor fired me from being the junior boys teacher. And that was probably a wise thing that pastor did. But my 12-year-old Sunday school teacher was a lot different than that. His name was Johnny Drake, six foot six. I've known, come to know him and his family very well. We had our Sunday school class in the breezeway in the open air in Miami, Florida. I can give you all the description of it. I really don't remember a lesson that Johnny taught us but I remember as a 12-year-old boy that he took us on a camping trip and he let us shoot BB guns in a canal and he spent time with us outside of church that let us know that we were important to him and it made all the difference in my life because I still remember that that man took interest in me. Amen. When you are in the church, if you're going to influence people, you kind of have to have the faith of a developer that sees a piece of law, a raw land and sees a shopping mall or a subdivision. You have to have the faith of a potter that sees a lump of clay and envisions a beautiful vase. You have to have the faith of a sculptor who sees a chunk of stone and envisions a beautiful statue. You have to have the faith of a young girl who sees an irresponsible young man and sees a husband. I love this story. I may have told it in the pulpit before. I don't remember. She was real nervous. This girl's getting married. And so they're trying to help calm her down and give her direction. So they said, just remember this. You're going to walk down the aisle. You're going to go to the altar. And then you're going to marry him. So all you need to remember is those three words. Walk down the aisle. Stand at the altar. And marry him. She was so nervous. While she was walking down the aisle with her father, the people in the aisles could hear her say, I'll alter him. I'll alter him. I'll alter him. And most girls have said that when they got married. Give me time and I will transform him from Simon into Cephas. We have the faith, need to have the faith of a mother-in-law 
who looks at an underqualified, unworthy son-in-law and sees grandchildren. Nothing in him, just grandchildren. There are three things that I believe are important about changing people's lives. First of all, you have to see their potential. If all you see is all the bad stuff, you can never change a life. Just remember that I started my ministry as a youth pastor with a group of teenagers that probably at that time didn't seem to have a lot of potential. But I was reading a book way back then by Larry Richards who said that you must look beneath behavior and quickly, quickly flying words to understand, accept, and care about peace persons who are emerging from childhood, changing shape before us, and becoming adult. That idea helped me see Cephas and Simon. And when you look at a child or a young person, it may be your own son or daughter, you can pick them apart, you can find every imperfection, you can tell them everything that's wrong with them, and you will not encourage them at all. People tend to do better in an environment of encouragement more than criticism. You can place the bar so high they can never get over it. You can make the net so small that they can never make a basket. But you've got to believe in people and see that potential in them. Amen. You've got to see it. You have to see Cephas and Simon. And then you must speak to it. Everybody please say, see it. See it. Amen. Then you have to speak to it. Jesus saw the potential in Simon, but he said, you are Simon, but you shall be Cephas. You're going to be a rock. You're wishy-washy today, but you will not always be wishy-washy. When I spend time with you, and my word gets in you, and the Spirit fills you, you're going to be a changed man. I see it, and I'm going to speak to it. I want to encourage Everybody in this church, whether you're a parent, a grandparent, a teacher, a co-worker, there's a lot of discouragement in the world today. The devil is the accuser of the brethren. There's a lot of people that have been told they're not worth anything at all. But if you walk into their life and see potential in them and speak to it, you can change their life forever. Most people have not heard a lot of well-dones in their life. You think about the baptism of Jesus. The voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. He kind of verbally patted him on the back and said, I want to tell you something about this young man. I believe in him and I'm proud of him. That's why I continually tell people in our church, if you walk up with your child and they're a little bit shy, please don't label them as shy and tell me they're shy. I know they're shy. You know they're shy. They know they're shy. Why don't you speak to what they will become, not what they are right now? Amen. I know you have to deal with misbehavior. You have to deal with rebellion. But don't speak to that and reinforce that. Speak to what they're going to be when they're changed by the Holy Ghost and by somebody that believes in them. Then 
Massingill was her unmarried name. Now it's Lynn Free. She was in my youth group. I heard her on the phone in the hallway of our church, First Pentecostal Church, telling Tammy Runnels, Tammy, I know you're going to make it. I can't tell you how many times my wife and I told Lynn she was going to make it, but something got inside of her, and she told her friend she was going to make it. Well, today Lynn's a preacher's wife in Jackson, Mississippi. I think maybe it's partly because a youth pastor and his wife said, Lynn, you can make it. We believe in you. You've got to see it, but you've got to speak to it. And thirdly, you have to shape it with a process. That's prayer. That's time. You have to have an active commitment. Can't just be something that you say. As a pastor, as a father, as a person, can always find the things that I need to do better. When Trey was in Bible college, I would always try to connect to him. He would pick me up at the airport. We'd go out eat you know, a late night meal and talk. I might have been at meetings all day when I was a little tired, but I cherished time with the young man that I believed in and I wanted to speak into his life and shape him with the process, going to Bible college day in and day out, learning the Word of God. You know, I, until tonight I've never heard Trey preach, but I can tell you I'm proud of him and I knew that God was going to use him because of a process that shaped him. I think you can tell Atlanta West is proud of you, what you've become and what you are becoming. Got to invest. Invest time, invest the Word of God. Make a difference by spending time with people. That's what makes all the difference in the world. Amen. There was a guy named Walt Ryman who went to his pastor and said, I would like to teach Sunday school. And they told Walt, Walt, there's no openings in the Sunday school department. Walt had a sixth grade education. He was pretty persistent about teaching a Sunday school class. And finally the pastor said, look, if you go get your own boys, you can teach Sunday school. Walt was not an apostolic, not a Pentecostal, but he believed in people. Walt went out and he started inviting boys on the streets of Philadelphia to go to Sunday school with him. Nobody responded because anything that sounded like school didn't sound good to them. So Walt said, what about a game of marbles? And some of those boys said, sure. So Walt played marbles with them. And then he took him and he formed his own Sunday school class with these boys. They were most of them, nine out of 12, of nine out of 13 of them that he started bringing to church were from broken homes. These boys, though, were changed by the investment. Eleven of the 13 boys that Walt Ryman had in his Sunday school class went into full-time Christian work. One of them was named Howard Hendricks. Howard Hendricks was raised in a broken home. He said, when I came along, my parents separated. He said, I split the family. My mother raised me. I was called a troublemaker in elementary school, acting out of a lot of insecurities. One of his school teachers said that he was most likely to go to jail. She tied him up and taped his mouth shut back then. But Walt Ryman believed in Howard Hendricks and Howard Hendricks said that Walt Ryman believed in me for Jesus Christ's sake. He would walk with us and his bad heart would give him trouble but he cared for us and he shaped our lives. Howard Hendricks recently passed away but he taught at Dallas Theological Seminary for over 50 years. He shaped the lives of some of the leading Christian leaders in America today. People that are not apostolic. And my point is not whether they're apostolic or not, but about the power of seeing it 
speaking to it and shaping it. Howard Hendricks, they called professor. And the young men that he taught, now grown up, are people like Dr. Tony Evans, Bruce Wilkinson of Walk Through the Bible, the author of The Prayer of Jabez, Reverend Charles Swindoll, who said that Howard Hendricks believed in me when I did not believe in myself. The Reverend David Jeremiah, Andy Stanley, people that speak to thousands and thousands of people in the course of a week because of a professor named Howard Hendricks. But Howard Hendricks would say that it was a guy with a sixth grade education named Walt Ryman who, Wyman, who believed in us and loved us to Jesus Christ. And what I've wondered since I read that story is what would have happened if Walt would have been Jesus' name apostolic. I believe those people that they would have been changed by a one God apostolic person too. You've got to see it and speak to it and shape it. I I read a story. My wife read this story to me this week. How many of you know Brother Paul Mooney, the Assistant General Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church? In the issue of the um, Reflections magazine that our ladies get, there's an article in there written by Sister Mickey Mooney. This is the wife of the Assistant General Superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. Brother Mooney is the president of Indiana Bible College, uh, the pastor of Calvary Tabernacle, one of the great United Pentecostal churches. But Sister Mooney's story goes like this. Born in a government housing project in Lilburn, Missouri. Her parents are very poor, migrant workers, farm hands. Went to a tent revival. Her parents received the Holy Ghost. His daddy was a real good man, but her mother had a temper. Even though she had the Holy Ghost, she was not a very nice woman. She was born, she said, in Project 13 in a tiny government rental. She was named after a minister's wife because that that little, little baby, she was a pretty girl. Here's this mom, and when Mickey comes along, she's just another mouth to feed and her mother resents her. Her parents do a little bit better in life. But her mom seems to take out all her anger on little Mickey. She told Mickey many times, Mickey, you ain't worth the salt that goes into your bread. At age four, Mickey's mom started beating her. Mickey had a nervous stomach and vomited a lot almost daily. Made her mother upset. She got onto her and Mickey vomited even more. Mickey's mom would get mad when she wanted to get a book from the library, she'd say, what you trying to be, an educated fool? She said today mom would have probably gotten some help. There's probably a medical diagnosis that she needed. She said one minute we'd be shopping and having a good time, and the next she could turn on a dime and her rage would be taken out on me. She said my dad got a better job and we were doing a lot better then. And mom would take me out to buy me a new dress every Friday. She said one day we were riding into town or back from town, laughing and talking. And she said, I just said kind of off the cuff, Mom, you're crazy. But it wasn't, she didn't mean you're crazy. She just meant, you're crazy. She said, instantly, my mom turned on me. And she said, huh, I'm crazy. She said, I knew that I should not say a word or my mom would say I was sassing. When I got home, the belt came off the hook in the bedroom and found its way to my back. But Mickey said, my haven was the church. 
my accordion, the keyboard, any musical instrument. God gave me a gift. At age 8, I could carry a church service musically. I loved my pastor's wife, Sister Fanny Magruder. They took, she mentored me, she said, and would take me, let me travel with them to play music for them. Sister Mooney says, I didn't speak to my mom for a while. I felt it was probably a medical issue that my mother was dealing with. She said, but through the years, uh, uh, she and Brother Mooney would hold hands and pray across the bed. I would have nightmares. We fasted. We prayed for me to try to, excuse me, get through all of this, my mother's anger and how it affected me. But she said one general conference a few years ago, the Lord just spoke to me and gave me a peace over this that it was my mother's problem and not mine. And that's kind of Sister Mooney's story published in the Reflections magazine. But I want to tell you, you never know that that sharecropper's daughter, that poor little girl that's abused physically by her mom would grow up to be a pastor's wife and the wife of the assistant general superintendent of the United Pentecostal Church. But someone saw potential in her and spoke to it and shaped the process. And because she did, her life turned out to be something very beautiful for the kingdom of God. Would you stand please? I learned a poem from Brother Craft and Jackson about a diamond. A diamond in the rough is a diamond sure enough. And before it ever sparkled, it was made of diamond stuff. But someone had to find it or it would never be found. And someone had to grind it or it would never be ground. But it's, if it's found and when it's ground and when it's burnished bright, that diamond's everlasting giving out its light. I heard that part of the poem, but when I Googled and found it several years ago, I didn't realize that it continued. Oh, teachers of our young folk, don't say you've done enough. It may be that your rudest is a diamond in the rough. Right now, the person that might be obnoxious, irritating, It might be your own kid I'm talking about right now. They might be as rough as they can be. But inside of them is something God can use for His glory. Worship team's coming, I hope. When I was a Sunday school teacher in Jackson, Mississippi, I wasn't going to tell this story, but I'm going to back up and tell it just kind of briefly. There was a boy that came on the bus named Timothy Chastain. He was redheaded. He was obnoxious. He was a troublemaker. He sat on the front row of the class. He pulled his jacket up over his head, disrupt the class, and I honestly did not have a lot for him. I was a pretty young guy, about 20, and I just thought this kid is a distraction. He was just aggravating to me. But my friend, who was also a Sunday school teacher in that class, took an interest in Timothy and got me to kind of change the way I thought. We started working with him and Nathan, my friend, saw beneath his behavior and quickly flying words somebody that needed help. We bought clothes for him and we loved him to the Lord. He was baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. Bus kid. At the end of that school year, we were leaving for corral tour 
in Jackson, there was a tremendous rainstorm that took place, a torrential downpour, and the creeks were flooding. Timothy and some of his friends were out playing in the creek. Timothy was swept away and took taken under the water and came entangled in the roots of that tree, and he drowned. They got a special permission to miss the first day or two of corral tour so we could be at Timothy's funeral. Timothy never preached a general conference. He didn't grow up to be assistant general superintendent of the UPC. Never gave tithes. Died at 12 or 13 years of age. But Timothy Chastain died saved because a friend of mine said, why don't we take some time with these kids? This acting out behavior, something inside is worth kind of believing in and reaching for. See it. Speak to it. And shape it. Thou art Trey. Thou art Simon. You shall be called Cephas.